So we just had our reading, and for those of you who are new or visiting, my name's Toby, and I'm a regular here at The Six with my wife, Elle. And I want to start tonight uh, with a question. When life is overwhelming and stressful, where do we go to find peace? For some, it might have be having your head in a good book or getting lost in a film that transports you off to a far land. For me, I like to go for a walk. And let me turn my clicker on, there we go. Now this was taken last weekend when Elle and I went to Bushy Park. Um, credit goes to Elle for the photography, not me. Um, yeah, so I love going for walks, specifically in the woods, just to soak in nature and just the peace and the quiet that it brings. But whatever it is that you like to do that gives you peace, the common thread I found in all of these things is that it's all about escaping, isn't it? About removing ourselves from trouble, even if it's just for a short while. And it's not hard to see why we do this when we look at the world around us. The world is crying out for peace. We turn on the news, there's war, economic meltdown, the cost of living crisis, and then closer to home, there's relational breakdown, there's mental health crisis, and then just the daily grind of life. And in particular, we remember today those past and present that have given their lives in the pursuit of peace. Now, many of you will be familiar with John Lennon's song, Imagine, and it takes this idea of escaping that I described earlier to a whole new level. Here are some lyrics from, uh, I believe, the chorus. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Great song, but according to this worldview, to experience peace, we need to basically get rid of everything. We need to have a blank canvas, a blank slate. But the problem with that worldview is that our human experience shows us that our hearts are crying out for something, not nothing. There's an emptiness that we all strive to fill and search for for peace. As Holly and Dom have shared, we are continuing in the name uh, of God series, and we're looking at Yahweh Shalom tonight, which is translated, the Lord is peace. Now, just for you uh, linguistics uh, experts out there, although we translate Shalom to mean peace, it doesn't actually just describe the absence of conflict of war, but it also talks about healing and restoring, taking what is broken and making it whole. And that's something I want us to remember as we look through tonight's passage. So why is it important that we look at this tonight? Well, my prayer for us tonight is that through knowing God as Yahweh Shalom, we will see more of his character, his heart for us, and how it can transform our hearts and help us find true and lasting peace in a stormy world. Just need to have a quick swig of my water, get a bit of a dry mouth. So, 
We've had the reading. Uh, thank you, Nikki, for reading that. I had some tricky words in there. Um, but if you do have a Bible or your um, app, your phone, please uh, have it to hand as we're going to be looking through it. But just to give a quick background to Judges for those of you who aren't familiar for, um, of the book, it describes a really dark and difficult time in the history of God's people. There's a lack of both unity and faithful leadership. God's people, Israel, they've fallen into a vicious cycle of abandoning God and worshipping idols. And as a result, God gives them over to his enemies. The people then see the errors of their ways, and they turn to God and repent and cry out for help. God then rescues his people by sending a judge. However, sadly, as we read through Judges time and time again, they find themselves returning right back to where they started, and the cycle repeats and repeats. So, we're starting at verse 7, and right off the bat, we can see the people are crying out to God. Just a few verses before, at the beginning of the chapter, we find out it's because Israel is being oppressed by the Midianites. Now, unlike other opposing forces that would come and uh, oppress and take over the land, the Midianites are described in Scripture. It says they're like locusts. They would swarm in and they would destroy crops and livestock and they would leave God's people with absolutely nothing. In fact, it says it was so extreme that Israel were left hiding in caves. It was that bad. And so God's response to this is to send a prophet and remind them of all that he's done to deliver them in the past in verses 8 and 9. However, the people, they continue not to listen to God. Essentially, their rejection of him has led them to this situation in verse 10. But despite their rejection of God, God is still working in the background to deliver his people. And that's where uh, we have Gideon enter stage left. Now, it has to be said, Gideon's a little confused as to why all this is happening in verse 13. He never doubted that God had delivered them from slavery in the past, but where was God when they needed him most? Why such tragedy and suffering? I mean, was he even still with them? And although the Lord chooses Gideon to save Israel, he feels weak, he feels frail, he feels incapable. However, his uncertainty and fear was removed by God's promise. In verse 16, I will be with you. Now Gideon wants to be certain of this encounter he's uh, just had and who he's been speaking to. So he asks for a sign. Uh, the food he prepares for the angel is consumed by fire and Gideon is filled with an even greater fear. Because he'd seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And normally this means death because you can't stand in front of a holy and righteous God as a sinner and live. But interestingly, if we look at verse 23, God's response was this. Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And as a result of these words, Gideon's heart is infused with confidence and courage. He experienced peace in the truest sense. He then builds an altar to the Lord and he calls it Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is peace. And it's because of this encounter 
Gideon can now confront the enemy and undertake what God has called him to do. His encounter with the Lord of peace had taught him that he was not alone. So, if I could sum up this passage in one main point, if you take away nothing else tonight, I'd love it to be this, is that true peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the trial. True peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the trial. And it's this idea of God as the Lord of peace and what it means for us here now, tonight, is what I want to explore for the rest of the evening under these headings. In search of peace, peace with God, and the peace of God. So, in search of peace. I don't know about you, but when I read this passage and other passages in the Old Testament where constantly seeing God's people messing up time and time again, I can find myself thinking, how can they be so stupid? I mean, come on, how can they keep getting it wrong time after time? Can't they see everything that God's done and continues to do for them despite how they've constantly rebelled and rejected him? And once I've had my kind of uh, interior rage monologue, the gears start turning in my head. And it's then God's spirit hits me like a ton of bricks. That's me. And that's you. You see, too often, we can overlook the people of Israel as key characters and how we are much more like them than we care to admit. Because it can be so much easier to look at the heroes of the faith in Scripture and try and see ourselves in them. Like the people of Israel, we too have failed to be obedient to God. We've gone after other idols, thinking it will bring us peace, thinking that will solve all our problems. Whether it's money, material goods, success, power, relationships, approval of others, we have all turned away and fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in the book of Romans. And just like Israel, we keep repeating the same cycle. Well, I know I do. But this idea isn't new. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose to disobey what God had said. And as a result of this, the state of shalom, the state of peace, was broken from that point onward. And because of our sin, we are powerless to do anything about it. If we just take a moment now, if we're honest with ourselves, what are the things that we instinctively go to to bring us peace that aren't God? I know for me, I distract myself with things. It's very easy just to go on Amazon and click, add to the basket, and it brings me a full sense of peace because I don't know about you, but it never fulfills, does it? You're, you're constantly then after the next thing and the next thing. I just want you to take a moment now just to pause and reflect what are the sorts of things that God might be bringing to mind for you? So if our hearts are crying out for peace, but we go looking for it in all the wrong places, how can we experience the peace that Gideon found and not be stuck 
in a cycle of eat, sleep, sin, repeat. And that leads me on to my second point, peace with God. You see, what I love about scripture, about the Bible, is that although it's made up of all these different books of different characters, stories, settings, literary genres, it all connects and it all points to one thing. You see, God raising and sending Gideon to deliver his people is meant to point us to the one who ultimately brings us peace between us and God, Jesus. We're given a glimpse of this in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So even though we have rejected and disobeyed God, and we rightly deserve his judgment, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Colossians chapter 1 expands on this. says, For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, It's because of Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. We can now draw near with confidence, knowing that Jesus took it upon himself to bring us back to the Father, to restore the broken state of shalom and make us whole. If you're here tonight exploring faith and you long for the peace that I'm speaking about, Know that no matter how much or how many times you have rejected or disobeyed God, he stands with arms open wide, longing to make you whole and to restore you. All we need to do is to turn and repent as we did in the prayers as Holly shared. All our longings, our heart's cry for peace can only be found in Jesus the Prince of Peace. Not in things of this world, but in the God who came to dwell among us, who experienced the pain and the fear of this world and ultimately took it all to the cross. It's because of Jesus. God speaks to us the same words he spoke to Gideon. Peace be to you. You shall not die. For others here, we may have already experienced that peace. Praise God. But how do we take that truth as God, as the Lord of peace, and navigate the reality of our day-to-day lives and the world that we live in? And this leads me on to my final point of peace of God. Peace is such a core part, actually, of who God is that it's one of the first words Jesus speaks after his resurrection to his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, he says, peace be with you. And it's this promise of peace the disciples and Gideon received, we also continue to receive. John chapter 14, verses 26 to 27 says this. This is Jesus speaking. 
But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So not only are we secured peace with God through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are blessed with an ongoing peace through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to quickly share two ways of how this works out practically in our lives. Firstly, we are called to be peacemakers. This peace isn't meant to be just self-serving. It's not meant to be held onto. It's meant to be shared. Whether we know this or not here tonight, friends, we are Christ's representatives and we are called to share that peace with those around us so that they too can experience peace with God. And secondly, peace through the storm. Jesus said, didn't he, I do not give to you as the world gives. God's peace isn't just a feeling of calm, of happiness, of of zen. It's a peace that goes beyond our circumstances. It's a peace that the book of Philippians says surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As I said earlier, true peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the trial. I just want to share a short story with you uh, that I feel illustrates this point. On the left is uh, a man called Horatio Spafford. Some of you might not have heard, uh, heard of him. Horatio was a successful attorney and a real estate investor who lost a fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. And around the same time, his four-year-old son died tragically of scarlet fever. Thinking a holiday would do his family some good, he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship to England, planning to join them uh, after he'd just finished some pressing business at home. However, while crossing the Atlantic, the ship was involved in a terrible collision, and it sank. More than 200 people lost their lives, including all four of Horatio's daughters, who are in the middle there. His wife, Anna, thankfully survived. But when she arrived in England, she sent a telegram to Horatio that just simply said, saved alone. What shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. And at one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, who was aware of the tragedy that had befallen him, called him to tell him and show him that they were now passing over the spot where the shipwreck had occurred. As Horatio thought about his daughters amidst the pain and the grief, words of comfort, of hope, of peace, filled his heart and mind. And he wrote them down, and they have since become a well-known hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, 
Whatever my lot, you have taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. Where is God calling you tonight? Is he calling you to be a peacemaker? A peacemaker at work, at home, at school? Or is he calling you to rest in his peace that goes beyond your circumstances, that goes beyond your understanding? Friends, whatever we are facing, whether it's sharing our faith, facing the cost of the living crisis, health issues, or grieving the loss of a loved one, whatever it might be, true peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the trial. I just want to leave you with some words of Jesus from John chapter 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. By Jesus' victory over sin and death, he pays the price but he also provides the power. The power through his spirit to live transformed lives where we are made into his image day by day. And it's in this way, God gives us his peace. He settles our hearts in peace and gives us the means for us to live in ongoing perfect peace until that final day where he promises to wipe away every tear. Where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. Where the state of shalom is restored and we are made whole. But until then, God Promise us, he promises us to give us his grace and peace that surpasses all understanding through his spirit so that we too can say, like Horatio, it is well with my soul. Amen. <laughs>